Welcome to season five of the Life Giver Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope that will breathe life back into your military or first responder marriage. Welcome to the Life Giver Podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers. I am so honored today to have with me Marianne Rubido Klein. She is going to join us today to talk about a lot of things, um, but this, specifically the sensitive topic of grief. And I know that lately for me, I've had a lot of spouses come up to me, whether they're military or first responder, talking about how do you grieve different kinds of grief in your life, everything from the loss of an animal to the loss of time spent with your spouse, or maybe you see your spouse grieving the loss of um, those that were dear to them that they served with, or whether it's your own loss in your life. And so I'm so honored to have Mary Ann with me today, who's going to share an amazing story of how she not only walked through some very traumatic days for her, but also how she's moved forward in that grief and learned to love again. So Mary Ann, thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you for having me. I'm humbled to be here. Well, there is a lot of power in storytelling and it's not about being a voyeur in your life, meaning it's not about listening to someone else's pain as if we're being entertained by it or simply um, satisfying some level of curiosity. It's really mm -hmm. about how do we tell our story and all of us have a story, but how do we tell our stories in such a way that it can impact and change someone else's life? And you definitely have an incredible story. You lost your first husband, Charlie. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. And you are now married to Jeremiah, who is a veteran, but also a first responder. Yes. So I know that this is a really tough thing for us to get into, but I know there's so much that we can learn from you, Marianne, and just so much that we can just be inspired by your strength. Maybe a good place for us to start is to maybe share a little bit about your relationship with Charlie and how long you guys were married. Okay, so um, Charlie and I met at college, and uh, we started to date. Um, then September 11th happened, and um, I remember him asking me, you know, I guess this was a pre-proposal, but will, will you go anywhere in the world with me? And I said yes, because he knew that this event on 9-11 would impact his military career. We, we didn't know how. But it definitely did. And, 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 and it impacted our lives as well. We had four and a half beautiful years together through dating and through marriage. Uh, we married in December of 2003. Um, then we were going to Fort Knox to do our officer basic course. We met some great friends there who also were going to Fort Carson like we were. And so February of 2005, we arrived um, at Fort Carson. Um, those are kind of some of the statistics about our life and the years, but I do want to make a, a, a few points. Uh, Charlie loved the Lord. He was definitely service oriented. I remember one time when we were at Fort Knox at a gas state station and we talked about, okay, what if something happened to you? We, we knew he was going to be deploying as soon as we got to Fort Carson. We, we knew that. Um, we didn't want to talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about stuff like that. But we did talk about it just for five minutes at a gas station in the car while he was pumping gas. It's very, you know, simple like that. But, and he was saying a few things. And then one of the things that he said was, because his mom was not a non-believer, -belie and he did say, 
wouldn't it be awesome if, if I died that my mom would come to know, to know, know Christ. And I was like, the human part was like, no, it, it would not be okay because that would mean that you have passed. But that was, he was, that's where he thought it was more eternal perspective. And, um, that's just the kind of person that he was. So he left, um, for his deployment with the third ACR in March of 2005. He was learning a lot. Uh, he was a new lieutenant and um, he had a great platoon that was really um, just, I mean, he knew if he made mistakes that his platoon would be right there for him and back him up. And um, he was just really um, aspiring to be a, a wonderful leader. And, um, and he was constantly learning. I have beautiful love letters because back then we didn't have Skype. <laughs> I have beautiful letters that, um, that he wrote me. Um, and then and all of the letters I look back and, and they all say, and if I don't make it home, if I don't make it home and my heart never really went there. Um, it was more so, I guess I was in that naive, um, first military wife. I was doing the military wife thing. I was doing FRG. We had a dog, you know, all of those fun things. Um, but my, but my heart never went there in case that did happen. So, um, Marianne, can I pause you there for a second? Because yes. I, I heard someone say recently, they were talking about, um, <clears throat> communicating in marriage as a service couple. And it was a service member who actually said this, that the, that's, it's so easy for us to get away from writing letters and it's so easy for us to go to text, um, strands and WhatsApp and only FaceTiming and using the video. And in this service member specifically said that there's something lovely and romantic and intimate about handwritten letters. And to be able to go back even through a shoebox of even seeing, you know, your grandparents writing back and forth to each other and to be able mm -hmm. to hold on to those things in, mm -hmm. in such a different way to see someone's penmanship even. I mean, even mm -hmm. if you typed it and printed it out, the mm -hmm. point that you have something physical to hold on to says something different. So I'm wondering for you, um, now that you have those handwritten letters, would you agree? Absolutely. I have many letters that I will go back and read. Even, you know, we're coming on, this is the 15th year of his death. And that's kind of a big number. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's hard to believe, but yes, I still read them and, um, constantly and just could feel him through those letters and just the passion that he had for Christ, the passion that he had for me and for serving. Um, and it does, it puts something personal, um, on paper for us to, that are left behind to read. I mean, I do have a, a letter from my, my grandmother still, and she's passed away, which is wonderful. But, um, before Charlie left, he left little notes around our house in Fort Carson that I had to find. And so I have all of those still, plus the, probably the eight letters that he sent me overseas. Mm -hmm. So those are so personal and they, it's something that a Skype or a Facebook messenger or anything like that can't really touch because again, some of the personality has gone away from that and in more of those handwritten and that penmanship. And I have his handwriting and it's really awesome. So we are getting into um, August 2005, and I remember going to a, um, a memorial at Soldiers Memorial Chapel the beginning of August. This was not Char Charlie's, uh, for four other soldiers who had passed away. And my thought was, if I ever had to go through this myself, I would like to see what they're all about. And I'm not sure if that was 
God saying that to me or just me feeling inclined to, well, I, I want to be a support for Charlie's unit as a whole. But I did go there. And a few weeks later, um, I got a knock at my door. And um, I remember constantly saying, are you sure? Are you sure it was Charlie? Are you sure? Because again, I never thought that that would ever happen. Part of me didn't believe it, honestly, until the fact of I would have received his, his wedding band back. Um, can, can I ask Marianne, what did they do right? What was um, maybe a few things, what were a few things that the casualty assistance um, group that came and served you? Cause you know, I know there's a lot of people that want to do better with this. And this is, this is something that we're always trying to learn on how to do better. So give me a few things that you can look back on. Um, Cause I know that at least from what I hear from working with a lot of gold stars is it's kind of a blur kind of a blur, right? It's kind of a, um, the whole, everything goes in slow motion and there's big chunks of time that you might be missing and things like that. Um, but maybe what were some of the things that happened throughout that first week that people did right? Oh, there were so many. And I don't even think that I knew what I needed, but everybody God placed in my life did exactly what I needed. And, but again, when you're the one being told that you're pretty much your life is over, um, you don't know what you need. You know, you obviously need, need food, but you're not hungry. You obviously need, um, to not be alone, but you want to be alone because you're trying to process some, some things. So for me, how I reacted again, I was in that, that shocked mode. I never really threw anybody out of my house. I never really did any of that, but, um, the casualty team was there. Um, I had an amazing casualty officer and I will say this, um, there are a lot of things that are maybe broken with the army, but they did everything right. Um, everything right in my eyes. I had an amazing group of friends. I'm going to give a little shout out to my Fort Carson ladies. They know who they are. Um, they were all home, which is surprising. Um, so they were all called and they were all at my house um, to just, they were all in shock and just to uplift me. But I didn't know I needed that. I didn't know how important this group of ladies would be that I got to meet throughout just being at Fort Carson. But God did know and he knew I would need them. And just, um, again, amazing. But the, yeah, the casualty assistance officer, he was fantastic. He actually, um, Charlie was um, buried in Florida. And we, of course, were in Colorado. So there was a lot of moving around. Um, and so the casualty assistance officer was down with my family and Charlie's family for a whole week. Um, it was amazing because he was doing some things down there, escorting um, me and just my family and then Charlie's family. and just being at all of the services, the burial, the, the funeral, and just giving those military honors as well. And this is how naive I was, Corey. Charlie gets a purple heart. Like he gets what? Like I was so like, didn't even know what the honors were for mil for military. And if you, if you ever told me I was going to marry a military man and let alone two, I would probably have laughed in your face because I just never con considered that lifestyle because it is, it is a service lifestyle and they are gone a lot. Um, so a couple of the things that I would definitely, um, for anyone who's listening right now, uh, as far as friends who are grieving, especially the loss of a, mil of a military spouse, um, that first week uh, was, yeah, you're rushing around. You're kind of like 
it's like, it's like a whirlwind. It really is that first week. And then you have your memorial service that the army puts on at the installation that you're, that you're stationed at. And then things get quiet about a month after it gets really quiet because everybody has to go along mm-hmm. with their normal. And I understand that they're new, you know, for me, it was a new normal for everybody else. It was like the hype of that was over and now we have to continue on. And I, um, I had some amazing friends who saw the need even like two months out and would just stop by, bring me a potted plant or take me out to coffee or ice cream or those kinds of things. I would definitely encourage, I guess that would be my number one tip, encourage um, those people who are grieving the loss of anyone, but especially a service member is to not forget and to remember them that second, third, fourth month, even a year out, that would be my first tip. Um, and it could be something small. It could be even like, even if they don't answer the the door, just leave a card or do something to let them know. Again, those personal pet penmanship cards. I have so many that I still have 15 years later because it, it I still, I read those with a, a sense of just, wow, this person really cared about me. She Led, she felt the Lord leading her to write me and she did that. And that's amazing. Um, the second thing I would, um, I would say to, I have a few friends who still to this day, 15 years later, almost 15 years later, they mark the month of August as Marianne's month. And they, mm. they pray, they pray for me that whole month. Um, I just have a couple, but that actually told me, Hey, August is your month. I pray for you every day of August or, you know, every week of August. And that is so helpful um, I mean, and they didn't have to necessarily tell me that, but I'm glad that they did. So I can share that with you. So, um, and share that with, with anybody who's listening right now. And that was so helpful, um, that they are still re- re- remembering the impact of Charlie, but just the, the loss, the, the community's loss. I think, um, in 2005, there was a, just, that was a bit, the part of the war where it was still new and everyone was, there was just a lot of casualties and it was just really, really tough on spouses as well. Um, so that would, that would be my next tip. Uh, my third one, and there's probably a lot more, but this one is so meaningful to me is that say the person's name. Don't, mm. don't not say their name because, oh, she might cry or, oh, she might. We're always thinking about them, whether you say their name or not. So it's so helpful to say, uh, what was Charlie like? Or what was his favorite activity? Or what was, you know, I bet you're missing Charlie right now. And not just him and not just these pronouns, you know, say his name. And that was really, really helpful. So um, can I ask you actually a question about that, Marianne? Yeah, yeah. Is that I think sometimes people don't say their name and don't ask you because they think that that one moment that they think mm-hmm. to say Charlie's name mm-hmm. might be the moment that you're actually thinking about Jeremiah, or you might mm-hmm. be thinking about your kids and not um, about what happened to Charlie. And so I think that's what holds people back sometimes is that they're mm-hmm. afraid that in one of your good moments, <clears throat> that they're going to trigger this pain mm-hmm. when you're they're in your, in their eyes, mm-hmm. they're hoping that you're experiencing a joy filled moment and they don't mm-hmm. want to sabotage that. Mm-hmm. And that's so understandable. And I appreciate you, you saying that because it is understandable. And if I was not on the side of grief, I probably wouldn't say somebody's name either, but I, I assure you it is so helpful. And just that, and it, for like, for me personally, it's just like that. Oh, we remember him. Like for me, it's like, Oh, you know, because I remember him daily but other people might, may not, or 
Yeah, so for me personally, so if anybody's ever on the fence, definitely say their name and you know, it's okay to put yourself out there to be vulnerable because you might get somebody to say, you know, have that shed that tear and say, Oh, thank you for remembering. Or thank you for saying his name. I really appreciate that. And when people do say that to me, I do make sure that they know, I appreciate you saying his name because that is helpful for me because that, that helps me to know that he, that his memory and his legacy are still living. Um, Mm -hmm. even though he has passed on. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so in other words, you're saying that even if you might be having a good moment, the fact mm-hmm. that somebody remembered Charlie and is bringing that back up to yes. you, that you see it more as another like added joy that they're actually um, remembering Charlie and are comfortable with saying that around you. So even though it might trigger some level of sadness, it's also mm-hmm. a, like a secondary joy. It is a secondary joy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I'm only speaking from my own experiences, but from, uh, from my other widow sisters who I've met, um, through this, I know that they love it when they hear their spouse's name. So yes. well, I love, I love that you gave us some of those tips because I think there's always ways that we can learn to do this better, which, mm-hmm. whichever side that you're on. And so, um, okay. So I'd love for you to, uh, we won't go too deep into, um, the pain of losing Charlie, but I would love for you to share with people, um, if you can, what that experience of losing Charlie was like, what that season was like to lose Charlie and, and um, walking through that. Cause I think it's probably like walking through mud. Yes. And, um, so he passed in August of 2005 and I kind of did my own thing still, you know, all of third ACR was still overseas. So I kind of pretended that not that he didn't pass away, but that, you know, I still had my gal pals. We would still go and have dinner once or twice. We actually kind of made it three or four times a week because all of our husbands were still like deployed. What really triggered some things obviously was that Christmas our anniversary, our first anniversary. And I'm not sure if, if I mentioned this, we, we were married for 20 months, so not even two years. Um, mm. That first Christmas without him and just, um, and he really wouldn't have been home anyway, but just knowing that he was never coming home, our anniversary um, into that next year. And then third ACR was um, planning to send their soldiers back home because their year of duty was, was done over in Iraq. And I went to a couple of uh, homecoming ceremonies because they were really close friends of mine. And I wanted to, I wanted to support them as they were supporting me. And, but at that moment, that March of 2006, it was really hard, really difficult because the reality set in, I was the third wheel. I was the fifth wheel and they didn't probably see it like that, but I did. Um, nothing was said as far as, um, anything like that. But I just felt like, Oh, I'm the third wheel. I'm the fifth wheel. I'm the the seventh wheel or whatever. Um, and it was very painful, um, to see all the, the happy when you were not happy. Um, so I really grew, you know, I've, I've been a believer since I was seven years old. (laughs) I, um, I knew Jesus. I know Jesus as my savior. And I, I guess I really didn't know how he could save my life. Everyone has a story. Like you were saying earlier, my story began. I feel like when Charlie died because a part of me died too. The girl I was with him. I say, and I I say girl because I was just a girl. (laughs) Um, it was very, I, I wrote a lot that year. I would go up to garden of the gods and just sit there and write on his birthday, on Charlie's birthday, on, 
um, various holidays, but it was, it was really, it was really tough. Um, I, it, it took a chat, a chaplain to tell me that first week of being notified that you can tell God how you feel. He can take it. I mean, even though you're not saying it out loud, he knows what you're thinking. And I think I needed permission because as a follower of Christ, can we be mad at God? Can we do that? Like I've never been mad at him before. And how do we, how does that get processed and how do I do that? And so I believe that evening, and this, again, this was that first week of being notified. My, 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 my parents flew up from Florida. So they were with me. I'm pretty sure I went up to mine and Charlie's bedroom and I yelled and screamed and threw some pillows around because I had permission to act that way from a chaplain. <laughs> and I say act that way just to be mad and to be angry and to be um, kicking and screaming and like, why Lord, why is this happening? Because you were, you were there when we met, you were there when we got married. I mean, this, you know, it's so visceral to me because you're talking about Carson. That was our first assignment. We came in there probably right after you did. We came in there in 2008. And so I can see Garden mm-hmm. of the Gods in my mind. I can see mm-hmm. all these places that you're at. I can see the Memorial Chapel. And it's really hard for me to not also get emotional because of all the feelings that I felt mm-hmm. in that chapel, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I so am kind of in that with you. And so many, you know we use the phrase sacred spaces to talk about these multi-sensory moments that change your life. Um, and trauma especially, but also joy filled moments, mm-hmm. um, trigger kind of like this PTSD response. And, and all mm-hmm. of it really comes back to you have the, having this big moment where adrenaline dumps into your body and all of your five senses open up in order for you to receive as much information as possible. Um, but it kind of scars that memory in your mind. And mm-hmm. so every time you experience a similar um, trigger, let's say it opens mm-hmm. up that kind of area of your mind again, and you feel like you're right back in it. And so it's interesting mm-hmm. how you're telling me just such a personal story and it's automatically stirring up, you know, like everything that I saw in that chapel and the mountains and what they meant to me and mm-hmm. all of these kind of very multi-sensory moments that were huge markers for me as well. And mm-hmm. so, um, one of the things that I wanted to, um, ask you about, um, was that during my first deployment at Carson, it was, um, when you were talking about how this was your first deployment with Charlie. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember having all these questions initially about like, you know, what does God think about the fact that we're having to separate for a year and how are we supposed to do this marriage thing apart? Mm-hmm. You know, it seems mm-hmm. like something that he would not want a marriage to go through, you know? And yet at the same time we felt called like this was, what we were wanting to do, what we felt like um, we were led to do. And so there was a great peace about moving forward in the military that way. And I remember in my own relationship with God during that first deployment, I remember God in a very multi-sensory way. And I'm not saying I heard God's voice and I'm not saying I, I felt physically his hand, right? But I remember throughout that deployment, God stepping in like a gentleman Mm -hmm. into that space that my husband had, had left where he could not be in the home. I felt in a Mm -hmm. very um, close way that I had not felt in a very long time since I had been married. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It just, all I can tell you is that God provided Mm -hmm. so that while my husband was in Afghanistan, there was not 
when I, when I stepped in and looked for God, right. When I slowed myself down to give myself the space to try to have my relationship with him. And sometimes when I was at my most challenging moments of pain or grief or whatever, um, God provided in his presence in a way that I can only describe was like him being a gentleman Mm -hmm. in my life and not leaving that gap void. Mm -hmm. And he stepped in. um, And sometimes other people would come in and serve and bring me that thing and leave it on my doorstep, right? Or do those little things like you were talking about. And, and there was, so there was times when God wouldn't necessarily fill that gap because he allowed other people to fill mm-hmm. it instead. Absolutely. Yeah. Great gentleman. And when my husband did come home, it was as if God kind of stepped away from that space and allowed my husband to have that rightful spot back. Mm-hmm. And I know that might sound very strange to someone out there. Um, but that's how he provided. And mm-hmm. so when you talk about um, being angry with God and ha- and kind of stepping into that relationship and him kind of being there with you, I'm kind of wondering if you experienced something maybe similar. Yeah. And it's really funny that, that you mentioned, you know, maybe not necessarily hearing God or, you know, his hand, but I totally heard God. <laughs> so we were... Um, I had a girlfriend of mine that was stationed here would pick up my mom and and myself after Charlie's funeral. She came to the Colorado Springs airport and picked us up. And my mom was up front talking with her and I was in the back and just taking all of it. And, you know, as we, we drove out of car out of the airport, you see Pike's peak in all of its glory. I mean, it is just beautiful. Every day I look up to that Pike's peak and just praise the Lord that we get to live here again. But then also that it's a present that he is always there. I always look at Pike's peak and think you are always there, Lord, always. You're never leaving me. But in that moment of driving um, in my friend's car, I heard God say, I need you here. And I was, Mm -hmm. what? I need you here. And because I was from Florida. So the easy part would be to go back home to Florida after being in Colorado, after experiencing the best and worst moments of my life and leaving the military life who I was only with for, you know, a a year and a half, if you, if you're, if you're going to count officer training and everything, but, um, I didn't want to go back home. This was home. And so after the Lord just spoke that to me, I knew that I, I feel like Again, I was a believer. I am a believer since I was seven, but I feel like that was when our relationship began. Talking about relationship and having, as your husband left and to uh, for Afghanistan and having, you know, um, God come in as a, your gentleman. I think that is so true because um, I, I allowed him in because I, I listened. I was open to, to listen that he needed me here. So the, the, the next year, uh, 2006, I did. I allowed him. He was my husband and my husband was, was, had, had, um, passed away. He was my rock. He was the only person that I would just cry out to that I would, and that wouldn't judge me or criticize me or say, you probably shouldn't feel like that anymore. It's been nine months, Marianne, or whatever, you know, because there are some people who, you know, say those things and, and I would not recommend that. But, um, he was, I, I knew that he was a healer. I knew that he was my protector and my provider all my life. But I finally got to say, I need you, Lord. I, you are my provider because I don't have a husband. You know, I'm, I'm widowed. And to say that word out loud and to claim that word as a gift and not a curse 
was huge in my life because I would be the first nine, eight, nine months. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm a widow and kind of hide my head and be ashamed of that because Charlie died and not ashamed of Charlie, but just ashamed of that word. Just, it was not a good word. Who wants that word at, marked at 25 years of age? Nobody likes that word, but about that eight or nine, nine month mark, I claimed it as my own because I felt like that was a gift from the Lord. How was he going to use that in my life? I didn't know it at that point. Um, but he, he was, he stepped in, he provided those people, like you were saying, whether it was him or having somebody else bring cards or anything like, 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 like that. But he, I guess I, I guess over time I would put sticky notes on him. Like, yes, I know you're this. I know you're this. And I took those sticky notes down and I said, yes, you are my healer. Yes. You are my, my protector. You are my redeemer. You are all of these things to me. Um, so it, it made it more real. And I feel like that was when my relationship with Christ took off. What happened when you did claim those things, when you did believe that they were true, what was the difference? The difference for me was I had no fear, absolutely no fear of what was like to come. Cause I had, I had just had the worst possible thing happen. And I think for me, after claiming those things and knowing that and I know you knew I was a child of like the King, you know, we, we, we know that, you know, we grow up knowing that, but I think I really felt it and claimed that because I had no one else. I mean, like I had parents who loved me, who loved me and who are amazing, but I was living in Colorado Springs by myself. And that was a really bold move. And I don't, I didn't think about it at the, the time, but looking at 15 years later, like, wow, that was a really bold move that you would stay there, Marianne. <laughs> like, um, but he was, he, I never worried about anything. And I would always, I, I sometimes even, even now being, having a busy life now and being happily married and having four wonderful kids, even now I long for that year of 2006 because I could read my Bible all day long and grow and constantly ponder what the Lord had for me. And I do miss those days where it was just him and I, and and that's okay. You know, I don't have enough time, a lot of time with him now because life is bu busy. But when he was my sole support and I was just out on my own here, I, I, I can't even like describe what I'm trying to, trying to uh, say here. I was just in awe of his magnitude, of his grace, of his mer mercy that he showered on me, little old me, um, because he saw me. He has kept every tear in his, in his cup, in his hand, every tear I cried. He knows how many hairs I have on my head and everybody else's. And so he came, he became a personal God to me at that point. Um, and yeah. Can I ask, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people listening right now who've probably also had moments in their life where they felt extremely close to God. Maybe it was because of a low point in their life or when they really had a great need for his provision and presence. Um, and I think it's easy sometimes for us to feel guilty or feel shame that we're not feeling as close maybe today as we were mm -hmm. in that moment. And then we kind of shame ourselves that there's something wrong about what we're doing or not doing or, or whatever that we should be 
we, that we should have the same kind of relationship that we had with him mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. And so with it being such a stark contrast between when it was just you and the Lord and then what you have going on now, um, how does that play out for you? What would you say to somebody who really is maybe shaming themselves going, why am I not feeling God's presence like I did then all the time? Mm-hmm. And I, I feel those things some, sometimes, but I know that that's a lie. And so I quickly, <laughs> um, veer off of that. But, um, some of the things that I would say is, oh, how do I want to put this? <sighs> Definitely don't I mean, guilt. I think as, as a mom in ge- general is, is there, you know, guilt for not doing so much of this or so much of that is definitely there. Um, but like I said to you, I, I do miss those times. However, I am able to spend alone time with the Lord. Not as much because I know he knows he's given me the gift of motherhood. Now. I mean, after I, he has seen me in my lowest point and I, I feel like he, you know, he, you know, you will, this is your low, this is one of your lowest point points, Marianne, but you will feel joy and no one will take that joy away from you because I am giving you this. And meaning uh, a husband and kids. And um, I think because he is a personal God, he knows where, where we are and he meets us where, where we are. And um, what, whether that is a five minute devotional as opposed to a half a day of being in his presence, but you can be in his presence as soon as you get up off of like your bed. You can be in his presence. You can worship him, not just with singing, but you can worship him. And it's just the, the setting, you know, not letting the distractions of the social media world and all of that get you because you can, I mean, it's easy just to like, Oh, I'm out of bed. Let's go check Facebook or whatever, but just getting out of bed and just saying, Lord, thank you for, you know, what you've, and I think every, almost every day, I always look at the mountain, look at Pike's Peak, as you can see that from our bedroom window and say, thank you for always being there. Thank you for letting me uh, for being in like the valleys with me. Thank you for being in, in the mountaintops with me. And I think all he asks of us is just a, a heart w- 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 willing to give to him. I don't think he I- expects us to, he doesn't expect much except for a servant's heart, a willing heart and a heart that loves him. Um, and so I think for me, it is definitely hard to get down and think, oh. I didn't spend as much time with the Lord as I wanted to and, and this and that, but he knows where we've been. He knows where we are now. And there will be a time where the house is a lot more quieter than it is now, where I will be able to be in and worship and be in my Bible more than I would like to now. What I do like to do with like our kids, because we do homeschool, we do have Bible and part of our cur- curriculum. And so um, I am able to to worship with with them and to um, to do those things too with them. So, um, so but so, yeah, guilt is very is very real and it's very there. And if I could just encourage someone to not feel that, and I'm talking to myself too, because um, I don't have it all figured out. I'm just speaking from experience. Um, but definitely, God knows where you are. He meets us where we are whether we are on the, the floor and dirty laundry and throwing our hands up in the air saying, Lord, I need you. If that's five minutes or if that's a half a day, um, whatever time I think that he, um, that's, that's, that's just it. That's it. 
Such beautiful encouragement. Um, I'm the picture I had in my mind is Jonah when he was at his lowest point and God provided that tree that provided shade. Mm -hmm. But at some point, um, God let that tree wither and it was time Mm -hmm. for Jonah to get back up. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are times and maybe seasons for us to really sit and allow God to provide. And, and then there's other seasons. I think he expects us to get up and move. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. Maybe that's actually a good transition for us to introduce Jeremiah and your story mm-hmm. because he is um, part of your world now. And so yes. talk with us through, cause I know there's so many people listening that are curious in a, in a way that would be encouraging to them again, mm-hmm. not trying to be a voyeur, but those that are like, you know, there are so many service um, spouses. There are so many supporting spouses mm-hmm. that have to think through what would I do if something were to happen to my spouse? And you, and we have to kind of play out that tape when it comes to paperwork and maybe even imagining in our minds. And, and I see spouses all the time who are living in anxiety because they don't play that tape all the way out. They stop with the knock on the door and mm-hmm. then they live in this paralysis all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important for people to hear um, what is that like for you to move forward, make decisions to have another relationship? I'm sure there's people out there that are wondering, like, how do you love again? I never thought um, I would love again. I would. I remember crawling up into my mom's lap after after Charlie died. After I was, I moved down to Florida, and I just said, "My life is over." And as a mother as a mother now, and having my mother listen to those words, she must've just been crushed, uh, you know? Um, so finding love again is just, it, it's pretty miraculous, actually <laughs> pretty amazing. Um, I'll go back a little bit and tell you how I met Jeremiah and then kind of go from there. Um, so we were inter- we were ending the year of 2006 coming on 2007. And I just had a peace, like I just had a total peace about where my life was going. I loved Colorado. I started to pray, is this a time for me to not go to a chapel on post? Because I was singing in a praise band on post, a veteran's chapel. Um, and I, should I go to a, a non-military church to meet non-military friends? Because that's my, that's kind of my life now. You know, I, I am a military widow, but I don't have a service member actively serving. Um, so that again, was it going to be a new transition as well? And in uh, the end of January of 2007, um, I was up there singing in our praise band and practicing and here enters in the middle aisle here. He, he, he came and I just kind of felt the sense from the Lord, like you need to get to know him. And we didn't really talk until a couple of church services later, but it was very interesting because I went into church thinking, okay, I'm going to probably have to change churches, kind of getting into that, you know, civilian lifestyle now. And I felt like that was a firm, no, you will continue to stay here and then know this person. Um, And so that was kind of how we met. We always kind of joke about that because there's an old country song that says, you know, you had me at hello and he totally did. Um, And so um, once Jeremiah knew I was a widow, because I didn't, I don't normally go out uh, up and, and tell people that it's, it's a very personal story. And if they find out, they find out, um, that didn't scare him away. And I was very shocked because I had baggage. And I think we all have some sort of baggage that we have ta- taken from either childhood or something, or maybe not. But for my, for me, my baggage was 
in a good way. I was previously married and who's going to want me? Who's going to want to find or who's going to want somebody who loved somebody else first? You know, I know for me, I wouldn't want that, <laughs> but I'm so thankful that Jeremiah did. And so, um, and God was very instrumental in all of this. I, I knew, um, that this was, I mean, I even told him just yesterday that he was a surprise to me from God because I just didn't know if I could do that again to be married again and all of that. And here's the kicker. <laughs> he was also in the army. <laughs> so, um, to fall in love with another, um, active duty at that time person was definitely, there were a lot of worries from friends and family and very legitimate concerns and very, um, they were concerned for, for me. And, um, which again, I love that they were concerned. <laughs> um, but I think too, nobody understands what that folded flag means other than another service member, because they know why I received it. And they know, um, they, they fight for that flag every day. And so for me, there was no other choice, but to marry another military man at some point. Um, and like not no other choice, but that was just how God just, I mean, just brought this man. You know, there's a good friend of mine who's also um, a military spouse who um, lost her husband as well and then married a service member. And one of the things that, you know, when I ask her, you know, how do you do this, right? How, how does your spouse feel about even the intense grief that you still experience um, or those moments when grief come up? Like, how does that interact in your marriage now? And she kind of like has this kind of smile or this smirk that comes on her face. And she says, you know, what, what my husband says to me now is, um, I get to be married to you. It's not like he's coming back and saying, can I have my wife back? Right. So that there's not this, like, they don't feel threatened. They just, they know that honor, they know that sacrifice and they equally respect it. But they also know that this is, this is the life that they get to have with you now. Yes. And I agree with all of that. And I think too, Jeremiah does not have the same girl that Charlie had. I am a totally different woman now because of my experience and my grief and my loss and how I view the world actually now and, and growth and growth. Too, and that's right? a blessing and, and, and a, a, a total curse sometimes. And, and I say that because, you know, I don't think like my other peers do. I look on eternal aspects because of what I have been through and, and that's okay. You know, um, but so it's a blessing, but it's also, I'm, I don't get to think like them anymore either because of that. But, um, that is one thing that Jeremiah was never, and it might've, it might've come up at, maybe at the beginning of our relationship. I think he saw a picture of Charlie and I, and just kind of felt maybe intimidation just for a brief moment. It has not continued any further than that. And that was almost 13 year, years ago, but, um, you know, oh, I, I can never be him. Well, you're not him. You're not Charlie. And that's not why I'm marrying you. You know, you are a different person than he is. And I'm a different person than I was. I'm a different person than I am with you. And I have really respected his, um, just meeting me where I am in my, in my grief. And sometimes he will bring up Charlie's name and sometimes he won't because he knows I need some alone time. And I appreciate that. 
uh, or he knows that, okay, it's going to be hitting August or it's Memorial day weekend. Or, I mean, even March is hard because that was the last time I, I saw Charlie alive is, you know, when he left. Um, so there's, there's certain, definitely certain dates and months that are especially more difficult. And he allows me to write on social media. He allows me to write. In fact, uh, for Christmas, he got me a journal and just wants me to, to just write my, my thoughts and my feelings. And just because even after 15 years, I'm still gre- grieving. It doesn't go away. And, um, you know, there's a, a, a trite saying, you know, time heals all wounds. It does not heal all wounds. I mean, you have a wound and you'll have a scar for the rest of your life. Um, because you're not that same person either. And how you view the rest of your world, how I parent, how I do anything has a lot to do with where I was. Um, so would you say that grief evolves? I, I would say that because, and it's different over time. I, I, that, that was a, a phrase that, you know, I have come to love is that, you know, it doesn't get easier. It just gets different over time. And sometimes I feel like when I, I, I do talk about Charlie, it's like other people might think, well, he kind of should get over that now because it's been so long, but I don't think people really do feel like that. So I, it, it, it does evolve over, over time and things are different. And I was able to tell my children last Memorial day about Charlie and really, and they knew about Mr. Charlie because they know, they see his flag and all of that. But then I told them what he was to me. And so it was telling a 10 year old, an eight year old, and they're, they're not going to get there until they get older and then realize what mom went, mom went through. Was that the first time you had really shared with them? Um, not about Charlie itself, but about, you know, he, they thought he was a, a a good friend, but then what he was to me, as far as Mm -hmm. a spouse Mm -hmm. and a husband and what that, and and again, it's still kind of what mom, I don't really understand. I kind of understand, but, but they will over, over time years down the road. So I think this is an important thing in talking about grief. Cause I, I often use the metaphor that grief is like ocean waves hitting a toddler, you know, oh, like yeah. ocean waves, right? <laughs> ocean waves are sometimes like every fourth wave is bigger than the ones before it. Right. Yep, yep. And so, so they're always different sizes. They're always different sizes. And you never know sometimes when that big wave's going to hit. But I think that um, one of the reasons why, you know, another metaphor people talk about with grief is that it's like peeling an onion, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so there's always a new layer to go Mm -hmm. through. And I think that as you go through life, you're going to have these big mile markers in life that are going to ask you to reevaluate that scar again in a new way. Mm -hmm. So while you may have had um, maybe deciding to get into a relationship with Jeremiah, you had to re-grieve in a different way, in a new mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. When you um, had children, right? You had to dis- you had to grieve Charlie in a different way because you're having children with Jeremiah, um, not with Charlie, right? So you right. have to grieve that in a new way. That's a new right. layer. Mm-hmm. And so then when you hit this mile marker of now it's time to actually talk to your children about who was Charlie, right? That requires mm-hmm. you to grieve in a different way with different a new way. layer. But, yeah. Or if you like the other metaphor, it's like a different wave that hits you. That's a little bit bigger than the ones before mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. The week before that, maybe not as, not as bad, but sitting mm-hmm. down with your children and having to really explain, this is who mom is. Mm-hmm. This is a part of my story. Yeah. It requires you to grieve that in a different way. That's right. And so 
I think, um, and maybe every anniversary date is that next layer of the Mm -hmm. onion as well. And Mm -hmm. so I agree with you that grief doesn't end and you don't ever necessarily get healing. I think that that's why we believe that healing genuinely is on the side of eternity, Mm -hmm. not something that we're going to experience here. And so this idea that we're supposed to strive for life to be easy or great or without suffering is not a, it's not a realistic view of what life is really supposed to be about. It's supposed to be kind of gritty and dirty and Mm -hmm. and we're supposed to struggle through it and fight our way through it. Mm -hmm. But when you do believe that there is an eternal side of things, that's where we get to experience, um, the, the healing. But I love what my husband says when he talks about those that he's lost, service members that he was close to that he lost, or um, when he talks about some of the most painful things that we could go through, he says, you know, we're not going to understand God's perspective of it, but someday we're going to get to heaven and we're going to stand face to face with him. And we're, we're going to see it through his eyes. Mm-hmm. We're going to look back. And he always says that our time on earth is going to be like the fifth day of third grade. Like we mm-hmm. knew it happened. Mm-hmm. We don't remember all the details maybe, but we are pretty sure that, you know, it happened, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> May even remember the name of our teacher, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he says, you know, we're going to see it from God's perspective. And the only answer that we are going to have for everything that we went through is you did that well. Mm-hmm. Like you knew what you were doing and you did it well, because I see it now for what it was supposed to be. It's and we can say that even about our greatest pain too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think what I would love to hear you talk about is um, Jeremiah is now out and he's a first responder. And um, it's like you, you just, you just hit checked all the boxes. Of I, service yep. life. <laughs> and so um, talk with us a little bit about life now. Talk with us about um, what it's like to now be a first responder spouse and a veteran spouse and a mom and share with us what God is doing now. Um, and, and I'd love for, you know, there's a lot of, I get a lot of questions about, you know, why do you put the two groups together? Because, um, there's so many clear differences. And of course I see a lot of the similarities, but you're Mm -hmm. living this life. So talk with everybody about what that's like. So I think too, when you, yeah, service, I, Jeremiah is the epitome of serving service to his country, to his community, to us as a family. Um, we were just kind of laughing about it yesterday as we had to go to Fort Car- Carson for a few errands. And I, and he was like, yeah, I kind of miss being active duty. He is national guard. So he is ser- serving still, but 10 years of national, I'm sorry, 10 years of active duty and six years of national guard. Um, so he's like, well, yeah, I think I'm a little too old to be active duty now. Cause we're getting to that, to that point of being too old in the military, which is kind of, kind of a weird concept to think, but, but, um, and, and I just politely said, well, you have done service. And so we just know not to, not, not to see you a whole lot <laughs> because that is exactly how it is. And, you know, we make light of that, but it really is difficult, you know? Um, so going from, um, deployments and he just did have a deployment last year because you can get deployed with national guard too. Um, so he got home last June. So we're thankful for his safe re return, 
But you were talking about PTSD a little bit there. And when he was overseas in Iraq, those first few years of us being married, I remember thinking, I am in the same exact position I am in, except this time I'm expecting a child. And, um, and I did not take his first year very good, uh, very well. I was constantly worried and fearful and, um, because, well, if it happened once, it can definitely happen again. Um, first year of what the baby or the deployment the or deployment. So our first yeah. year together. So we were married. So 2007 was a, a bang up year. <laughs> we <laughs> we uh, met, we got engaged, we got married, and then we were expecting a, a child. Uh, we found that we were expecting a child two days before he was deploying to Iraq for 15 months. Um, now we didn't know it was part of that 15 month tour until they were already over there and they got extended. Um, so that went to, from 2007 to 2009. Um, but and that, that was a very difficult year and I was learning a lot about myself, but over time that has gotten so much better as far as that eternal perspective, Corey, constantly that eternal perspective, how I parent, how I love Jeremiah, how I remember Charlie. Um, so going to being a first responders wife now, I do not worry as much. I do not, um, because I give him to the Lord every time he walks out the door, every time he leaves me. Um, to go have his 48 hour shift or 72 hour shift or whatever that, that shift block is, um, that he has, but I, I love that he loves serving like that is so attractive. And that is so like, that's a passion of his, and that's a passion of mine. Um, and I just love that he, he loves doing that. And so he loves, he's in his, his job and his niche. I do not see him doing anything else. And, um, so for me, of course, he's a first responder. Of course, he's a firefighter. He's a paramedic. Of course he does this because this is what he, who he is, you know, he has saved me so many times, just my heart to love again. And now he's saving people in real life. So that, that just across the whole, the whole board, uh, I'm so proud. Um, can't even like describe that, but the reality of that is that they are gone. And that is hard. That is so tough. That's so tough. And now, and with, um, I'm not a police officer's wife, but then they have so much pressure and things that are, that they didn't have years ago. And it's just so different how first responders are treated sometimes. And, um, I don't, I don't know what that is like on that end, but definitely as far as that grief and that, and that post, uh, that, that uh, PTSD type of, of thing, my mind will go, go there to that. What if something happens, you know, we're talking about being paralyzed to that knock on the door and then, Oh, what do we do now? Kind of a thing. Um, my mind does go there because this time it's not just me. It's my, our kids as well. What if something happens in a fire? What if something happens with a uh, national guard training? What if something happens on a deployment. Um, but we go, we do go there. We go into those dark, those dark places to have a plan and then we go and then we're out of it. But I think for, for me with that, just that, and I, I don't use the term P I, I don't use the term PTSD lightly at all because it's a very serious thing. And I think, um, with being a, a, a spouse to somebody who has passed away and then being an, an a spouse now again, 
it is very real and it's, it, 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 it pretty much, it can paralyze you into every aspect of your life. Um, how I raise my, my kids and how I think about, well, what if something happened to them? My mind goes there, Corey, because that happened to me. Not that I lost a child, but that I lost a, a spouse and that what would we do? How would we do that? And, um, and I hate to have to be a downer, I guess, in that, in that regard. But when I think when you experience grief on that level, it's hard for your mind not to go, go there at times. And so I do, I don't take any moment for granted, um, with my kids. I'm not saying that everything is perfect and hunky dory on this end. It is not as far from that, but we are learning. We are, um, but once they do get older, I, I do believe that my, my, um, my losing Charlie has affected every aspect of my life and how I, I view things, how I, um, talk with my kids, how I just per- perceive things. But then, but then just in the last few years, it's been more of like an eternal perspective. God knows what's going to happen. He, he is the end of like the story and, and he, he's conquered death. He has done all of these things. And we know that. Um, but as far as being human, it's hard not to go, go there. What if this happened or what if that happened? Um, but I think a good thing is just to talk about it with your, your spouse and not have anything, um, not hidden, but not, um, tell them your feelings. I do remember my first deployment with Jeremiah. So this is when 2008 and, um, I didn't, if I was having problems or if I was struggling or if I was, something was going on, I wouldn't say anything to him because, oh my gosh, what if that was the last time I spoke to him on the phone and I was arguing with him about something, (laughs) you know? So our communication was not fantastic because we didn't want to argue because, oh my gosh, what if? And again, that has a lot to do with that PTSD of, and having that, oh my gosh, what if that was the last time I talked with, with Jeremiah and I was mad at him or I had some discourse with him? I think that can translate very well to first re- responders as well. And that's, li- that's living. It's life. You're going to have disagreements. But I think for me, I've had to learn that, that we, if we're having a disagreement, that we do talk it out and not guard our hearts to where... Because, oh, what if this happened? What if this was the last time I spoke to you? I appreciate you being so honest about that. Um, I think I, I, love the, I love the fact that you said this is living, right? This is what it means to live. Um, two thoughts came in my, in my mind. One, <clears throat> Brene Brown talks about that catastrophic thinking that we as moms and wives especially do. I'm not saying men don't, but wives and and moms, we definitely have this tendency to go catastrophic thoughts. Um, For a lot of people, it happens like right when you put your head on your pillow and right before you go to sleep and like then the worst, you know, your worst (laughs) fear goes through your head and you're like, well, now I really am not going to sleep. But she talks about how um, we can't give into the fear of that. And, and part of I think making that better or helping with that is that she talks about the only reason why we have that fear and that catastrophic thought is because we love someone because we Mm -hmm. have an amazing relationship with someone. So whether it's your children that you find yourself um, having those fears or whether it's the fear of something happening to your spouse and it triggering up that traumatic response that you're talking about or 
for a lot of our listeners, you know, who have served on care teams, even that you can kind of mm-hmm. walk away with maybe not PTSD, but that was a traumatic experience that has kind of etched in your, um, in your story. And so it's going to trigger mm-hmm. up those same feelings of anxiety. But if we can kind of have that next thought that says, you know, the only reason why I'm fearing this thing is that I love somebody. And if we can mm-hmm. then choose to go this other direction, instead of going down a path of fear or paralysis, where we just don't even play the tape all the way out. Instead, we can pursue that track of loving that person. And so I have found even as a mom, because one of those thoughts is of the one that gets me every time is something happening to my kids. Um, it's mm-hmm. the it's the nightmare yes. of choice that yep. happens for me. One of the things that helps is for me to play the tape out of of celebrating my relationship with that kid, to really concentrate and an, instead of entertaining the fear, to entertain how much I love that kid and all the fun things we do together and what I love about them and. And that we can do that with our spouse, that we can do that um, instead of letting the fear take root. And we can't live Mm -hmm. our life thinking, I'm never going to um, say something negative. I'm going to try to be perfect all the time because we're human and we're flawed and it's impossible to live like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Marianne, I think in closing, if there is someone out there um, who's going through loss right now, um, who is struggling to, to kind of take that next step, what kind of encouragement would you give them? That you are not alone. That um, God God sees you. Reach out if you need help. Nothing is too big that God can't be there with you. Um, There are many people who want to help and um, and do those things. if I can be on this side, you can too. Um, and I can't believe I'm on this side of it. And I think with grief, you have to go through it. There's no way around it. Um, I was, I was given this image of a, a tunnel, you know, a covered tunnel, like underground tunnel kind of thing. You can't go over it. You can't go around it. You have to go through it. And that is grief. You have to go through whatever you're fa- facing. You have to go through it, and um, but going through it with somebody is so much sweeter. Um, if you are a widow, reach out to other widows. Get involved in a support uh, widows support group or anything. Um, I took Grief Share, and that was amazing. That's a that's a fantastic uh, curriculum for going through grief. Um, I read several books. Um, that were, I think one of them was a military widow, um, book and, uh, a grace disguised was also really good, um, as well. Um, but yeah, I would just encourage, encourage you to, um, reach out if you are feeling cri- crippled by your loneliness or just by, I'm the only one feeling like this. You are not, you're not alone. It may, it may feel like that because I was there. Um, but you aren't, you aren't alone. Thank you for listening to the Life Giver Podcast. If you're enjoying these episodes, please share the podcast with other service couples that may benefit from the show. If you're feeling especially grateful, head on over to patreon.com forward slash life giver or find the link in today's show notes where for just a couple of dollars, you can help breathe life into more service families. If you'd like more information about me or Life Giver, head on over to coreyweathers.com or life-giver.org.